All right, you guys, it's time for another episode of the Seven Figures Club podcast. Today, we've got my friends, very powerful guest, Jennifer Love, coming to us all the way from California. She is an award-winning, not one, not two, not three LeBron James, but a five-time career entrepreneur with 20-plus years under her comfy Keds. She retired her high heels years ago. Congratulations to her feet. And she is a thought leader with a heart that matches her name, her degrees, training, and research in human and organizational behavioral psychology are the foundation for her clinical work. She currently is the visionary CEO of the Living Wealth Institute, helping world leaders develop a healthy relationship with wealth, free from overwhelm and anxiety by following a regenerative money education for a holistic and nourishing experience Leaders who know how to raise, manage, grow, and contribute money can live soulfully, wealthy lives. Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. There are over 32 million businesses in the U.S., and over 90% of them will never break seven figures in annual sales. So how do we as entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs break into that seven figures club? This podcast will relentlessly share the secrets, strategies, and tactics I've used to create three multi-seven figures businesses and bring in even more successful entrepreneurs than me to share their inspirational stories and tactics to success. You can create your dream business in life right now. So buckle up and let's go. So we always like to start these podcasts by finding out kind of your background, what led you to entrepreneurship and to your career path? What were some of those guiding uh, events in your life? What was your upbringing like like that maybe, you know, affected um, those outcomes? Yeah, I love this this place to start from because really for all of us, nature and nurture really come to blend who we become and who we choose to be. Uh, and, And so getting to the scope of someone, it really does begin with where they come from. Uh, for me, I would, I would, uh, share that and take you back to the three-year-old me. And I have this memory of me sitting in my home in Oklahoma, Oklahoma city. We lived in Oklahoma. My father was a successful entrepreneur. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and I had this little piano and I was like, you know, playing my heart out on this piano. I was like singing my heart out. And I was, you know, it was like "Mm, this little light of mine and twinkle, twinkle, little star. And I thought I was like a complete badass. But the thing that's really interesting to me (laughs) about that moment in time, and I have such a memory of that, like in my body and also just mentally, was that I wasn't just playing Leo for myself. I wasn't just playing for my family. I wasn't just playing for my community. I was on the level of playing for the universe. I knew no limits right? I was unencumbered and I was just going for it, playing for the audience of the universe. (laughs) And, and that's, you know, that I love that memory because I come back to it and I've been coming back to it more recently and in thinking, wow, really the only limits that we have in our life are the limits that we place on ourselves. And so often, no question what happens is, you know, the traumas in life that come in Mm -hmm. that we don't process appropriately that impact and create those upper limits in our life. And, and that is what happened for me. So at three also, um, I had this memory of this dark day 
and my parents were in their bedroom. The door was closed. My father was yelling. He was punching holes in the walls. And he walks out, storms down the hallway past me. I see my mom sitting there on the bed and I go to her. I crawl up on the bed and sitting next to her are the cut up credit cards. And she looks down at the little three-year-old me and she says, your dad's leaving and we don't have any money and he's not coming back. I was like, whoa, that's like a lot to take on at three. <laughs> this is age three. This so. is age three. That's wow, right. Oh, that's crazy. And so, you know, that that was the moment where my money story really began. And the money story for me was, oh, I'm not good enough for dad to pay child support. Oh, I'm not lovable enough for him to stay and be a part of my life. Well, what did I do with that? Rather than having, you know, of course, at three, I'm, I don't have the tools and I didn't have the parental guidance and support like so many of us don't. So I internalized all that. I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to prove that I am lovable enough, that I am good enough, that I am, you know, worth it. And, and so uh, I set out and I set out with one of my top strengths on the StrengthsFinder 2.0 personality test. And that's achiever. So I became an achiever, but everything in life has a medicine and a poison side to it, right? That's what I believe. Everything has a medicine. Every word has a medicine and a poison and everything, every, every, we've all, all heard this on some level that our strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses, right? And so the achiever part of me that, that is a strength, I turn to the, turn to it in a poison kind of a way. And what do I mean by that? Well, I, I moved through life and, and got myself into the world of business at a really young age, right out of um, getting my master's degree and uh, started my first business. Nice. And so where did you go to school at? Yeah. So undergrad, uh, Millersville University in Pennsylvania and graduate back here in California um, at the California School of Professional Psychology. Started out, Interesting. started out a PhD in forensic psychology it was a little too dark uh, and ended up falling in love with the organizational and human behavior and development um, and going back for the PhD in that now, actually. So uh, what, the, what all of that achievement led to was, you know, looking externally at me, you would think, you know, the money in the bank, the real estate, the press, the, the business growth external success. The only problem was that I got to this place where I was completely burnt out. And while I had the money in the bank, I was in what I now call emotional poverty. So all through my twenties, I was bulimic while, you know, building these, these companies and, and doing all this work. I wasn't sleeping two nights a week. I was drinking two pots of coffee a day just to keep going. Right. And my story is not an uncommon story. Um, and I got to this pivotal point in my life where I said, whoa, like, I am not happy. Right. <laughs> and um, I want to be happy. <laughs> and, and so I had to hit the reset button and, and really take a look at my own life and how I was operating and what was operating me. And what was operating me was unprocessed emotionality, fear, anger, shame. And it's, and all started back 
from that little three-year-old. So I had to go back and I've been in this process for, for so many years of processing that trauma so that I'm not being controlled in my relationship with growth, wealth, money, that I'm not being controlled by, by fear, anger, and shame. And what's interesting to me as more of the scientific seat, because um, I am a little bit of a scientist here, and, and those are the top three emotions that are associated with a low vibration around money. Um, and what we also know scientifically is that 90% of our financial decisions are being made based on our emotions. So Leo, the bottom line is we got to deal with our shit. No question. So Jennifer, let's unpack that a little bit. So you're three years old, you know, dad cuts up the cards, kind of leaves you and your mom on your own. And you guys are kind of left to fend for yourself and figure out life. Uh, what was your relationship like with money when you began to actually make some after college? It was still from this place of fear. Like I, I got to this place many years ago where I came to realize that I was literally looking through a lens in my life where I never felt safe, right? So there was just this constant like sense of needing to be defensive in, in life because of the amount of fear and anger that was running the show with me. So I was going out and achieving and, and growing wealth, growing my companies, but I was doing it through like, you know, these, this, this lens literally of fear. And so do you think that if we're making financial decisions through a place of fear that they're in the greatest good of all, including myself. No, is the definitely answer. not. Yeah. We, we can't, if fear is making the decisions, usually we're not making the best decisions. We're not making the best decisions for anyone. That's right. Yeah. What, what were some of the first industries uh, that you were, you know, working in and, and seeing success? In? Yeah. So early, early days, um, automotive, pharmaceutical, uh, lots, uh, a lot of technology, some universities like University of Hawaii. Uh, nice. Yeah. And so you started out, it sounds like you got some really good uh, career opportunities. And when was the first time that you said, hey, I'm going to go out. I think I can do this on my own. I'm going to start my own, you know, business or my own, you know, side hustle, whatever it was. What, what was that like for you? I was 21 years old. Uh, oh, so it was early on then. Same, <laughs> same, same time I did. Yeah, 21 years old, and I was in my master's program, um, graduate program, and I was asked to write a business plan for a casino here in California. And because, of course, I'm a master's program, I obviously know how to write a business plan. I had no clue. Uh, and, and so I was like, well, sure, why not? So I took, I took it on, and uh, funny story is they ended up getting the funding that they needed. And that launched me into many year career into working with all kinds of folks in um, growing their, their businesses and getting funding. So growing their businesses and getting them funding. Wow. That's, that's awesome. I mean, that, that's what we're all about is, is helping business owners get access to capital and, and financing. So fascinating. So you're, you're growing different businesses. You're, you're helping them out uh, with funding. I'm just curious here. Like one of the things that you talk about here and you've been talking about here is the emotions. Yeah. Like, how do you 
you know, take these emotions as we're growing a business, as we're going through difficulty in life and actually harness them and turn them into something productive. How do we start making decisions that aren't based on fear? And what should those decisions like be based off of if there's an emotion with it or should an emotion not be part of that? Like, how do you unpack that? Yeah, most people are like, really? We're making, we're making financial decisions based on our emotions? Are you sure? Like, I'm like, oh yeah, think about it. Sit down, track it, start tracking. Like literally get a spending log, like clever fox off of amazon.com and start tracking every thing you spend, like what you're spending money on and write down the thought and the emotion that's associated with it. You're going to, you're going to have a whole level of new insight on yourself. Um, so what do we do? Well, we're not going to not have emotion be involved in our relationship with money. We just want to make sure that the emotions that are at play are balanced with our, our analysis and that they're not coming from the wrong place. So what do we do? Well, we need to process that anger. We need to process that shame. We need to process that guilt. We need to process that jealousy. We need to process that fear. How do we do it? Well, we got to do the thing that we all don't want to do. <laughs> we gotta, What's that? We got to go hang out with it. We got to, we got to okay. do some serious self-examination. Right. Yes. Getting, yes. getting into, into the parts of us that we're avoiding because it's so uncomfortable. It's so painful to go into those memories. It was painful to go back in and, and face that little three-year-old and my father, you know, walking out the door um, and not being a part of my life. That was painful to do that. It's going to be painful to do these things, but on the other side of that, digging in, looking at, examining, and processing so that we can re-regulate ourselves, reparent ourselves. On the other side of that is our liberty. On the other side of that is our sovereignty. On the other side of that is our choice. On the other side of that is our joy. That, that is so fascinating. So, so basically you, you have this emotional baggage surrounding your relationship with money. We all do. And so if somebody's on the treadmill, they're running or they're driving to their next appointment or whatever they're doing, take a minute and think, what is that emotional baggage for you related to money? For me, I'm the oldest of nine kids, you know, grew up in a small town in Southern Utah. And I just, I think back to when I'm 16, my parents can't afford to, to get me a car and and there's almost there's this you know negative relationship thing there we can't afford it we can't afford it type thing and i think a lot of that comes back to that and so for me i you know when i started to make money then i started making irresponsible decisions oh i'm going to get the good car i'm going to get the great house and instead of building investments and more cash flow and and making some of those decisions early on in my 20s so it's interesting so once you identify you know this emotional baggage what's the next step mm. Well, we gotta, we gotta process it. Right. And so often what, what comes in to this whole process is through the work of what I call the three-headed drama llama, <laughs> the three-headed drama llama looking at like, how, how am I showing up and being or playing a victim in my life and therefore keeping myself stuck in the, I can't I can't do this because, right? There's no, I can't. It's just a matter of how, right? Or how am I showing up and being a hero 
in, in my life being a martyr and I'm normalizing my own suffering to the point where I don't have anything left to give. I can't let alone be generous in the world. Um, forget about tithing, but you know, I, I can't even basically really hang out with you and enjoy my time with you because I have nothing left. I am so depleted. I'm so burnt out because of all the giving and overgiving that I've done. Because I've normalized my suffering. I've sacrificed myself. Or how that then ends up playing with us becoming the bully. I'm now so resentful and so pissed off and so angry because of what I feel like and how my needs haven't been met. And so now I'm bullying everyone else around and how I'm being in my business, how I'm being with my family, how I'm being even with myself. I'm criticizing myself and that, that's where the inner critic really begins to show up. So I'm curious, you talk about some of the different personalities surrounding money. What are some of these personalities surrounding money? And, and maybe we can start to identify which personality we have and then you know, figure out how to process it. Well, there's the avoider which I find that more than 50% of entrepreneurs are the avoider. It's like, yes, I'm making money. Yes, I know how to make money. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to deal with it. I'm not good with numbers, <laughs> right? I, I'm not good with math. I don't know this stuff. It feels uncomfortable. I'm embarrassed, right? So we're just avoiding it. Right. Isn't that crazy? I think a lot of people, you know, as they're trying to grow a business, they look and they think, oh, the entrepreneur has a figure out, but there's a lot of entrepreneurs that are good at making money or building something. They're not good at keeping it. And there's, there's an issue there. And that's what you're, that's super fascinating. So we got the avoider and that's half. Mm -hmm. What's the next one? Mm, well, we've got the, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses, right? So these are the folks that tend to often be in massive amounts of debt. Uh, because they're, that was me in my twenties there, Jennifer, yeah, if only yeah. you could have found me then and just slapped the crap out of me. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, these are the folks that are falling for the get rich quick strategies and schemes out there. Oh, and you know, six weeks, 12 weeks, you can, you know, make millions. Right. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and so those, these are the folks who are trying to keep up an appearance. There's a, there's a pretending that's going on. They're trying to be larger than, than life because who they are, they aren't even satisfied with. There's a complete rejection of self that's going on um, and a complete lack of um, compassion and self-love mm -hmm. for where they are. Um, then there's the, the worshipers. And the, worship, the worshipers, like for these folks, it's just never enough ever, ever, like no amount of money will ever, 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 ever be enough. To these folks, the worshipers, money equals happiness. It's just not true. Money doesn't equal happiness. And so you kind of hit that point too, right? Where you had had a lot of success, but then emotionally, you know, maybe where you're at with, you know, family relationships isn't where you wanted to be. Um, so, so how did you push through and then have a breakthrough with that? It was, um, I don't know if you've ever heard this term, the dark night of the soul. 
the dark now that's a great term the dark night yeah of the soul. it was a dark night of the soul it was a really a turning inward and in a in a stop like so many of us entrepreneurs we get to this place where we're so busy there's so much going on that we literally cannot we, we, we're not stopping to to literally process and think about what's happening for ourselves. oh yeah i mean think about this leo how many entrepreneurs you you know a lot of entrepreneurs how many entrepreneurs once they've hit a milestone take the time to pause and celebrate that milestone i mean there's some that do and they celebrate too early and then there are the the tom brady types that it's a very quick celebration you know celebration then they're on to the next they're on to the next thing and i think there's two extremes there i've been in the camp where i celebrate too early and then that really hurts my momentum. And then there's the other camp where I'm in right now where I really don't, I don't take a lot of time to celebrate that. And I, I think there's something I'm missing there. I find through our, our research with thousands of entrepreneurs that 90 plus percent of entrepreneurs are not pausing to celebrate appropriate timing. There's their wins. And now what is, what is this doing? Well, let me, add, let, I'm going to put a little, bookmark right there. And I'm going to, I'm going to stop. I'm going to ask you a direct question. And that is when you've worked really hard, let's say for a team, for someone, you're working really hard for something. You've done a lot. You've given your all, you've gone all in, you know, you've, you've contributed massively to the success of something. And that person doesn't acknowledge you for that win, for all the, all that you've con like contributed. How do you feel? Well, I've been there that with my previous business that I started uh, several years ago, we grew up fast, you know, zero to 50 employees within two years. And then I brought on partners and they literally, the ones that I brought on and, and promoted, they, they didn't appreciate it. And it was, it was gut wrenching and it, it made me, made me furious and uh, it was tough and led me to actually start over and, and rebuild again. So what I'm hearing in that is resentment, probably some anger definitely frustration, which, oh, yeah. which literally and created an end to the relationship. Sure did. Okay. This is what we're doing to ourselves by not appropriately honoring, acknowledging and celebrating ourselves along the way for what we are doing. We're literally signaling to ourselves, Hey, I don't matter what's going on in that subconsciousness when we're literally communicating to ourselves that we don't matter. Oh, everything that you just said, that's what we're doing. That's fascinating because for me, it's this struggle. You know, I had this history of celebrating too yes. early, maybe celebrating too much. Now I've gone to the other extreme and it sounds like that's the problem that 90% of entrepreneurs fall in. They actually don't, you know, celebrate any of their wins and they just move on to the next thing, the next thing, and the next thing. And and so and pretty, and, pretty soon time just flies by and there's just always the next thing. And there's always the next thing. And so here's, here's what I also want to add to that. So if we're getting into a state of being angry, resentful, frustrated, and pissed off, do we want to keep really going over time? No, no, that no, that's where the burnout happens. That's where the burnout happens. That's right. And what starts to happen, we start to do this, right? We start to close. Now, do we receive, do we manifest from this place or do we manifest from this place? Oh, we got to manifest when we're open and happy. That's right. 
That's right. So, so I'm giving you just one simple example here of what's going on in running the show, right? Down to something as simple as not, not honoring ourselves by celebrating our milestones. That can lead to absolute destruction and burnout in our life. But we're doing this across our life. We're making ourselves not matter in so many different areas. So anyone who's joining us here right now, I want to ask you a very simple and yet profound question. And that is, where in your life are you making yourself not matter? And why? Start there. Start start that self-examination process with that question. And you're going to begin to see if you really stay with it and it's going to be uncomfortable that and it's okay. That means you're on the right uh, path. If you're, you're not comfortable, you're on it. You're on it. <laughs> so, so you're on that path. And then hopefully at some point, you know, you understand what you call living wealthy now. And I think it's about more than money. Yes. If you could unpack that, what does it mean to live wealthy now? And as you're getting that breakthrough and identifying where you're at with your money personality and, and, you know, the burnout and, and the next step there. Yeah. Well, for me, living wealthy is, is living where we are in this place where our heart is open always, right. Where we, we are able to receive all of life. Right. And, but, and when we're in a place of receiving hands open heart open, we're going to experience pain. It's going to happen. But can we be in a place where our hearts open, even when we're experiencing some shitty stuff in life? Right. And so from that place, then we're also able to receive all the goodness of life, all the joy, all the, all the things. And I'm going to land this in a story for you here. And, and this is, <laughs> this is quite the tale. Um, a year ago, May 7th, I was riding a horse with a client here in Santa Barbara. I got bucked off the horse. I crushed, oh my my sp- crushed my spine and, and crushed the L2 75% and the upper and lower um, vertebrae were fused together. Plus I had a, two titanium rods and eight screws. So I'm sitting here right now with two titanium rods and eight screws in my back. Oh my goodness. So I was told that I had a 10% chance of ever walking again. And I was told that if I did ever walk, when that was without surgery, and if I did ever walk again, that it was going to take me a year to two years to be able to do it. Okay. So here I am sitting in the hospital, you know, in massive amounts of pain, physical pain. And well, I decided to meet myself in that pain. Five days in the hospital, transferred over to the rehab hospital. The first day I'm in the rehab hospital, first day in six days, I'm going to have a shower. The nurse and the care technician are standing in my room, asking me what I want to wear because they're about to roll me in to get a shower. I can't lift my arms up. I can't put them out in front of me to hug someone. I can barely stand and I can't walk. And I'm sitting there with a decision. And that decision was, I can either choose that poor me, this has happened to me. I can't believe it. This totally sucks. I wish this didn't happen. Or 
I could choose, you know, I always wondered what it would be like to have handmaidens like in Downton Abbey that dress me. And I could decide right there and then that this was happening for me. And so I chose option B, this is happening for me. So they rolled me in to the shower and as they're bathing me, I'm just like savoring. I'm like, ooh, ah, yeah, you know, and I'm just having this whole thing. And the nurse and the care technician are asking me like, what's going on for you? <laughs> and, and I'm like, I, I told them, I, I let them in on what was happening. They got so tickled by it. They started calling me Lady Jennifer. And they would then braid my hair and we'd get out my essential oils and we'd start playing. So that day was the first day that I was starting four, four to four and a half hours of physical therapy every day. I went all in. But, you know, I decided right then and there that I was also going to choose what was going to happen for me. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to walk out of this rehab hospital. I'm going to be off of narcotics and I'm going to be at a pain threshold of four or less. Now, mind you, I was at a pain threshold of eight to 10. I was on ketamine, oxycontin, neurotin, and all these crazy, you know, <laughs> narcotics. Do you know that nine days later, I did. I walked out with a roll leader. I was at a pain threshold of 3.5. And, um, <laughs> And then I continued to set the intentions. I continued to choose. So by the end of June, I said, I'm going to walk a nature walk for 90 minutes. I did it. By the end of August, I'm going to dance. I did it. I've got all this on video, right? Okay. By the end of October, I'm going to do this really steep hike with my girlfriends. I did it. The week before Thanksgiving last year, I was flying on a trapeze. This is all... This is all like, we could say it's a miracle. It is a miracle, but it's a choice. Oh, no question. It's a choice that I made because I said, this is happening for me, not to me, right? This is for me. And the blessings that have come through from this have been remarkable. And what I have manifested in this last year as a result has been incredible. I have financially made more than I have in the last few years through this last year, and I've worked less. Okay. How do I do that? because I'm staying open. Everybody listening wants to know exactly how to do that, how to make three times more and work less. That's unbelievable. But I think we need to unpack that statement you keep saying. It didn't happen to me, it happened for me. And, and that's something I've heard, yeah. you know, really successful people say, and it's so important. It's the story we tell ourselves. It happened for me, there was a learning process and I wouldn't be the same and nearly as successful if I hadn't gone through that. But in the moment, but in the moment, you actually were able to step back and do that and see that, have that perspective. Most of us don't. That's and right. that's that's what you're talking when you're saying living wealthy now. But then the next thing there you, you talk about is this upper limit effect that we have in all areas of our life, not just with money. And I could in your position, people are, there's a 90% chance they're telling you you're never going to walk again. So how in the, how does one, I guess you just changed your perspective. It, it's happening well, for me. And well, but there was, there was more to it. You did more to it. Well, of course there was a lot that I did, you know, a lot of meditation, a lot of breathing, taking white light and imagining sewing up my spine you know, the breathing, all of my, my rituals and practice, I was going hardcore while I was in the rehab and, and since, 
Um, so my rituals went from being an hour a day to my rituals are now my morning ritual is like an hour to four hours a day, right? 5 a.m. to nine or 10 typically. Um, and so I've, I've more than doubled down on, on me. Cause why? Cause I matter <laughs> because I matter. And in that process, the dividends and returns on it have been so significant. And so living wealthy, yes, living wealthy is a discipline. Living wealthy is a devotional daily practice of manifestation. So let, let's talk real quickly, if we could, meditation and, and visualization. Uh, there's, there's a lot of talk about how powerful this is. I know for me, I started doing it, uh, did it for 30 days straight, where it's the same time every day, I would really focus on that meditation and visualization. And when I stopped, I saw a real difference. How is kind of the, there's a right way to do this. And I don't think people are doing it right or being instructed. You're doing it. And that's why you've seen such success for the last year, where many other people, if they were in the same situation, who knows? I mean, could have been the end of a lot of their lives, right? But for you, you completely turn it around. What's the right way to meditate and, and see that the future that you want? Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that there's a right or wrong way to meditate. I think one needs to find their way into meditation. Um, you know, I've done 10 day silent meditation retreat with Vipassana. Um, you know, I sit and sometimes I'll do a guided meditation and sometimes I sit with myself in silence and do more of a transcendental meditation, right? Um, for me at this point, because I've been meditating for, for so long, um, and Dr. Joe Dispenza's um, meditations are fantastic as well. There's so many options for meditation. I think the important key is literally doing it because the point of the meditation is to come back to self-regulation, which is part of what we need to do in order to emotionally regulate as well. So the meditation is creating um, a regulation in the central nervous system. It's getting us into um, this state of deep relaxation where we can, in our brain, re-regulate ourselves. We don't have to do anything for it. Literally just sit and be quiet and listen. It's probably not what you want to hear, but it, that's my truth. It, it, it's, it's literally about having the practice. It's not about the exactness of it. Because, no, no question. Because, yeah. because ultimately what we want to do, the whole point of the meditation is so that we can have our heart open, not closed. That's the whole point. That's the only reason we meditate is so that we can have our heart open. And the way that we get there is by regulating ourselves. That's it. It's that simple. We're overcomplicating it. So you open up, that's the whole idea of, of the meditation. And then the next thing that, that I want to ask you is there's common themes among leaders. And some of those uh, themes connect with money, wealth, the way we see ourselves. What are some of those issues that leaders specifically need to be aware of? Their issues around money? Is that what so, you're asking me? So there, there's like common themes that you notice leaders have in their relationship with money, with wealth, with their, you know, their life, their fulfillment, maybe yeah. family relationships. There, there's all these different things connected up there. What is it specifically that, that a leader maybe has a different challenge? 
I'm a leader. There's, there's responsibility. There's onus. I've got 30 people in my office here. I'm responsible for, but what, what are, there's something that happens with leaders specifically that there's a challenge there that maybe they're not aware of. Well, I, I mean, one of the most prevalent and common things I see in leaders in their relationship with money is that they believe that they have to work really hard for it. Like I got to work hard for my money. There, there it is. Work hard for is. my money, right? We've got to work hard for it. We've got to suffer and sacrifice ourselves, our life, our joy, our freedom in, in order to have it. And why are we doing this? Because we're being run by fear <laughs> or shame. And we think that's the way that we're going to save ourselves in our life. Let me tell you that doesn't really work because you're just creating a prison for yourself. And so on the other side of not having the money and, and being run by fear and then having lots of money, we're still being run by fear. Why? Because now we're afraid of losing it. It's the same fear. Yep. That's true. Right. And so now we're working hard to stay in this little prison because we're closed because we're being run by fear. Well, God, that's not a way to live our life. Come on, let's do it again. Let's push the reset button. We can do this again. We can, we can process those emotions and we can, we can choose again. Every day we wake up, we can choose again. And so, and so what's another one? Well, um, secrets, lots and lots of secrets, lots and lots of shame around how we're being in relationship with money. Maybe it's, you know, I feel like I should be further along already based on how much energy and efforts and resources. Well, I've had that one before. Yeah. Definitely had that one. Like I've got lots of sales, but no profit. Oh, okay. So that's a way we're making ourselves not matter. Uh, and I won't get into the details of, right, of that right now, but it, it absolutely is. Or, you know, maybe I had a client once who took out a hundred thousand dollar loan for her business and didn't tell her husband. Right. So she's living in shame of having this hundred thousand dollar loan that she's got to pay off and her husband doesn't even know about it. You know, I've got another client, you know, it's like, she's like up like, you know, 11 PM, PM, 12, 12 AM. And she's like shopping, spending like $5,000 a month on clothes. Right. So shopaholic. So I find that there are lots and lots of secrets as it comes to how we're being in relationship with money. Those are two very um, common. So the city, so the I think a lot of people at this point are, are listening, they're working out, they're driving, they're trying to have a breakthrough and they're thinking, wow, if I could just harness some of the tools, some of the strategies that Jennifer has laid out to, today, and there's so much information that they probably feel like it's a fire hose of information coming in. Where should they start? How can they connect up with you and take the next step? Yeah. So I would start again with that question. Where in my life am I making myself not matter? And I would also start with getting that clever fox spending log, that journal, and start tracking your spending like literally write it down, write every single expense for the next 14 days to 30 days down and next to it, write down your thoughts and your emotion. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. That is a fantastic place to start in terms of um, getting some more detail on yourself. If you head over to my website, jenniferlove.com, I have what's called the living wealthy quiz. That's going to give you some more intel 
to you about where you are in your relationship with wealth specifically and what to do about it. Like what's the next right step for you? Um, so you can find me there on jenniferlove.com, also the livingwealthyinstitute.com. Um, that's where the practice and the workshops that we run, um, you can find those. And then over on Instagram at the Jennifer Love. Wow, that's remarkable, guys. I'm on it right now. It's jenniferlove.com. That's two N's, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R, love.com. You've got the uh, Wealthy Institute and the quiz is right there. What is the quiz going to ask you? Mm, it looks through the four different wealth zones. Um, and it, it you ought to take it, Leo. I want to see you in there. Oh, I'm going to take it <laughs> right now. It only takes like five five to 10 minutes um, to go through it. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and it gives you lots of good insight about your four different wealth zones around money. Well, I think this is important. It says the quiz is not to bring you down. It's a fun little reality check. Important out of the reality. I'm asking you to be honest with yourself so that you have a starting place to grow from. Every single one of us can grow from wherever we are today. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right, guys. So go to jenniferlove.com. Jennifer, I want to give you the last word on what action we should take. We always talk about the importance of listen, guys. Let's not be passive. Let's implement what we're learning today. What is the action step besides taking the quiz? One thing someone can do today, but please guys go to jenniferlove.com, take that wealthy quiz, take action, get to understand where you're at and listen to what she's about to say. Yeah. So if there is anything in life that I could offer to you as a gift, that is for you to reframe life is happening to me versus life is happening for me. If you come from the space of life is happening for me, then you will allow it. You will feel it. You will believe it. You will do it. You'll go all in. Why? Because you matter. Well said, guys. Thank you so much for the uh, value bombs you've dropped today, Jennifer. Audience, everybody, make sure you take action. Go to jenniferlove.com, take the quiz, and we will see you next time on your journey to the seven figures. Are you looking for more seven-figure secrets, content, or even how you can launch your own recession-proof business? Then check out sevenfigures.com. That's the digit seven, F-I-G-U-R-E-S.com, where we share more videos, stories, strategies, funding solutions, entrepreneurial education, and even the secret business type that's recession-proof. Thank you for listening, and if you're finding value in our podcast, please give us a five-star and invite others to join the club.